are going to get into the book of Joshua to begin with. There's a familiar scripture that you can look in your, in your bulletin outline. And we've, said, we've used this scripture a lot in church. Today we're going we're gonna to really emphasize it and dive into it a little bit. And so Joshua was in an interesting place here. And if you look at the beginning, it says, But if serving the Lord seemed undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. So he's sort of throwing the gauntlet down a little bit and saying, hey, if you can't make up your mind, you need to make a choice. And then he skips down to the end, and this is the most familiar phrase that we've heard in church, if you've been around church. And it says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You can go to the Christian bookstore or to Hobby Lobby. You can actually get plaques that say this. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. You may have one up in your house. So we want to talk about what that looks like and what does worship in the home look like. And so let me just say this. I really felt convicted about this earlier, and I really should have said it in last service, and I didn't. The backdrop for Shanna and I in this conversation is not a thriving, um, exciting Christian home. The backdrop is much like your backdrop. In our, in our past, there's traditionalism, there's shame, there's embarrassment, there's sin, there's alcoholism, there's abuse, there's dysfunction, there's divorce. Multiple divorce, not between us, but in our background. In, even in our, in our sphere of cousins and aunts and uncles, we have, peop- we have cousins and aunts and uncles and, and people like that who are in our family who bear the same last name, who are in jail or who, are, who have been prostitutes or, or who have been um, hooked on drugs. And so, so there's no... that when, you, when we talk today, we want you to understand that we are speaking about having a home of worship and worship in the home from a place of desperation and from a place of hurt and brokenness, not from a place where we have our act together. And so 21 years ago when we got married, we looked at each other and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hey, guess what? We had no idea what that means, (laughs) right? And we were young and dumb. And you get to be young and dumb when you're young and dumb, right? But then you start having kids, and these little kids start looking at you, and and they're a reflection of your good behavior, your bad behavior. And all of a sudden, we start saying, oh, wait, I'm a dad. I'm a mom. Like, this kid just isn't an appendage, right? She just isn't an accessory, She's actually going to say the things that I say and do the things that I do. And so we need to look at this differently. And we started a 21-year process now of saying, God, really, what does it mean? What does it mean to have a family and a home that worships you? And so Joshua made a decision, and we're going to come back to this, to say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. If you're turning your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, and that'll be our first point in the bulletin. And this is the real, this is the real baseline for what we want to talk about today. The real baseline for what we're going to talk about is, where did worship start? Like, so God created the earth, right? Everybody knows that? God created the earth, the heavens and the earth, right? And, and in that, He created man. But God didn't, God, didn't, God didn't call everybody to Himself, stand on a mountain in a 200-foot in a statue or a 200-foot image, and command everybody with lightning bolts to bow down to him, and that's how he instituted worship into the, into the world. That actually isn't how it happened. And so here, we see the first time that the word worship is actually mentioned in the Scriptures. And it's in the context of the home, and it's in the context of the family. It actually isn't in the context of church. It isn't in the context of a temple or a tabernacle. It isn't even in the context of a big gathering. And so... Abraham was 
being tested here because God, before this, Abraham was without child. And Abraham wanted a child. And God had promised him that he would have generations of children. And he knew that. And it all started with Isaac. And Isaac was born to him. And Isaac was his prized child. So how many of you have just, you know, you love your kids, right? You put a little halo on them, even on their worst days. You love them to death, right? And so Isaac had, I mean, Isaac was that kid to Abraham. And in the midst of that, and in the midst of, of Abraham being tested to see if he really, he really worshiped the Lord, he really feared the Lord or not, God said, I want you to give Isaac back to me. Victoria, when I asked her, um, she's my number four. Stand up, Victoria, say hi. She's my number four baby. And so, yeah, okay, have a seat. Youngest. Have a seat. Sit down. Yeah, youngest baby. Give her an inch, <laughs> she'll take a mile. Mm-hmm. Um, she, when I talked to her about what does worship mean in our home to you, and she said, pretty specifically, she said, I think it's the act of giving back. It's the act of giving back. So does that sound like Sunday morning? Does that sound like get dressed up in your best clothes, put on your mask, come to Sunday morning, stand there and sing a song? No, it has nothing to do with that. And part of that is this scriptural backdrop. She understands that God alone deserves our service and our worship. And that everything that God gives to her actually isn't hers. And that when God allows us to experience something or gives us something, usually he will also ask for us to worship him with it and give it back. It's what we do in our tithes and offerings. When we bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord, we're not actually giving God money. We're actually bringing back something to God that he already owns. And we're worshiping him with it. And so here, Abraham did that. Abraham was actually at the base of the mountain, and he was going to go up and put his son on a pile of wood and light it on fire. This was his prized son. This was the the son that was going to be his legacy. And God was saying, no, I want you to sacrifice him to me. And so here's what he says. He says to his servants, stay here while I go up with the boy. We're going to go over there, and and we will worship, and then we will come back. And this is the first word worship shows, shows up in the Scripture. Again, it was in the context, and this is your first, your next blank in your, in your outline. Worship was introduced in the home, and it was introduced in the context of family. So it was introduced in the context of a father and a son standing before a holy God who they feared and offering themselves as a sacrifice. Offering themselves as a sacrifice. So we want to use this to understand, to teach you the concept of worship that we we hope that you take away this month is not a concept of just come to church in your best clothes and stand there and sing three songs, listen to the sermon for 30 minutes and go home. It's actually a a seven-day-a-week process where you and I sacrifice ourselves to the Lord every single day. And sometimes we even sacrifice the best things in our life to the Lord. And what does that even mean? So we want to unpack that a little bit. So Shanna's here to help me out. She's got this great um, scripture in Proverbs chapter 16 that we're going to dive into. So this will be point two in your outline. So it sounds cliche to say it, but it's just really, really true. Parents, grandparents, worship in your home actually begins with you. God has established the family in such a way that we reproduce who we are not just who we want. And our families actually learn more from who we are than from what we try to teach them. Um, You know, most of us in a Christian home, we, we would say we want the direction in the heart of our homes to be set towards 
serving the Lord. And so we share with our kids our wisdom and our knowledge and our life's experiences. We bring them to church and VBS and youth group. But the truth is, is that if the way that we are actually living is incongruent with everything we're trying to teach, then our effectiveness in passing on our faith and a desire to be a worshiper of the one true God to the next generation is cut short. Um, there's a scripture, like Billy said, Proverbs uh, 16. <laughs> I had to get here very, very early this morning. Verse Proverbs two. 16. Um, what I want to tell you right before we read it is that, you know, there's so many times where I know you say, yeah, Shanna, we should... We should do what we say. We should practice what we preach. We all know that. But the truth is, is that oftentimes when our behavior is not in line with what we're teaching, we actually do not realize it. The Bible would say that you and I are simply a people who are very, very unself-aware. Proverbs 16, 2 says, All a person's ways seem pure to them. Now, I had Billy look up the word all in the Hebrew and write down the meaning right here. Do you know what all means in the Hebrew? It means all, okay? Um, I'm deep, like I'm way Really deep. deep. He, he yeah. wrote it right here and everything for me. Yeah. Um, okay, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've meditated on this so much in the last month that I actually have started to find it scary. All of the things that I do seem right to me. They seem pure to me. Listen to this. Everything that your teenager does seems pure to them. Everything that your two-year-old does seems pure to them. But our motives, those things that are deep, deep down, so deep down that we don't even see them, those things that are affecting our behavior are actually seen and weighed by the Lord. There's another uh, version of the same verse, and it says, uh, it says it this way. Humans are satisfied with whatever looks good, okay? We're all humans, yes? We're satisfied. We find peace and contentment when all of our ducks are in a row. It looks like this. Um, my home is, looks pretty good right now. Um, I'm, I'm in a little bit of debt because we redid the um, back yard, but, um, it. but it was it. worth it. It looks pretty good, and um, my husband's doing well in his job, so that means he comes home happy, and uh, my kid is doing well in the school play, and the other one is the star of the football team, and uh, praise God, the youngest is actually learning how to read. I mean, we, we thought for a while that four out of five learning to read was pretty good, and we just call it call it square, but he's actually learning how to read, so that's good, and uh, my finances are, uh, but I'm working on that, so I'm, I'm satisfied, I'm content with what looks good. You're a good person. Yes, but God actually, he pushes past that, he pushes past what the culture says is good, and he probes us for what actually is good, so if we have such a hard time being self-aware, knowing when our, um, our behavior and what we're teaching our children are not congruent with one another. How is it that we know when we're living true? So I want you to sit up on the edge of your seat. Lean up just a little bit so I know that you're listening. All the kiddos. I'm going to tell you how you know. And it is, it's during those times where you're looking into God's word 
The Bible says that God's word acts like a mirror. And we look into the mirror of God's word over and over and over. And we allow God's word to reflect back to us the reality of our own behavior, of how God sees our behavior. And when I'm doing that, and I, it's, it's the time where I'm, I'm knelt down in my bedroom and I've been praying and I open up the word and maybe there's worship music playing or maybe there's not. But all of a sudden, heaven opens up and I know that heaven is attentive to what I am saying and I am trying to listen. And the invisible finger of a holy God points down in the word and says, Shanna, right here, right here at this spot, this is where you're saying one thing but you're teaching another. And all of a sudden, I'm able to see it. I could not see it an hour ago, and I didn't see it yesterday, but all of a sudden, by God's grace and his mercy, I'm able to see it, and I'm able to repent. And it is out of that, my repentance, that the life of Jesus grows bigger on the inside of me, and the resurrection power of Christ comes to the top, and I'm able to lead my family. That is what my kids see and what they absorb and what they are learning from. Amen. Does that sound good to you? That was a little preach. Yes, a little preachy. Billy said I use my teaching voice too much, and so I'm going to use the preaching voice. The preaching voice a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, so really, what is worship isn't something? Worship actually isn't part of your life. Worship is your life. So we lost, lost one of our mics, Adam. Yeah, preacher voice. voice. She broke the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> she can't handle it. We're, we would say that we would say we've learned that worship isn't part of what we do. That's why looking at worship in terms of Sunday is a failure because it, it basically attributes to the fact that worship is part of my life. So is church part of your life? Sure. But are you a worshiper first? Yes. And so worship isn't part of your life. Worship is your life. And so everybody say, worship is my life. Because when you were born, you weren't born as a baby. And God said, well, you're not really a good, you can't be a good Christian until we take you to church on Sunday. Until Pastor Billy or Pastor Sam says, you, says you're good. No, we're not, that doesn't happen. Actually, when you're born, you're born in the image of God. Now, you're born sinful, right? But, but you're born ready to be a worshiper. And God calls you to be a worshiper and summons you to be a worshiper outside of Sunday. So we, we would say that worship isn't part of my life. Worship is my life. So, and then, and then we, we struggle. Here's where we struggle, okay? We struggle to say this. That sounds good for me. So I'm working on me, right? I'm trying to be the better person. I'm trying to be the worshiper. But what about my home? Because let's just be honest. When you take what you're trying to grow in and then you expand that to your marriage, you expand that to your parenting, it starts to get a little goofy. And it gets a little bit difficult. So we want to give you some tools and, and talk through that. the culture and the enemy work against you. Yeah, there's nothing, about, there's nothing out there in the world that actually equips me and assists me in having a home that is based on worship. And if, you, if we went around the room and asked everybody, give me your background. Did you grow up in a church? Tell me about your dad, your mom, and this and that. I mean, you would talk about a very confused 1960s and 70s and 80s and even before that for some of you where... where 
on a regular basis, you didn't really have a very clear picture of what it meant for a mom and a dad to be together and to be worshipers and to build a home of worship. Some of you had that, but many of us didn't. And so when we get to be parents, we struggle to know what that looks like. So number three, I think, on your sheet. Yes is we can engineer environments in our home that either promote or interfere with an atmosphere of worship. So there's this ebb and flow in your home and in transferring your faith of what only the Holy Spirit can do and what you do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So I, I just want to say, we're not giving you a list of rules. Me and Billy actually aren't good at rules. You would be shocked to find out how few rules we have. Some of we, you wouldn't be We tried to make them, but we can't remember them. How many of you love, love rules? You just love them. Well, right? lo and behold, yeah, your see? kids don't love them either. So, just like people. Um, we're actually not that great at keeping our kids away from certain things. Um, you know, we put them on restriction, and then we, we forget yeah, then we who go, we put on restriction. Yeah, then we go, did you put them on restriction? What did you say? Well, I don't what remember. were they on restriction from? Well, who was it anyway? I don't know. And then Never we'd mind. ask them, forget and it. they wouldn't tell us. And, I mean, it was... They were like, everybody go out and play. That. Um, and when we were younger, we would, um, would want to have family devotion nights. So if Amen. you pull off family devotion night, God bless you. Mm, but it almost God. broke me and Billy, okay? Yeah. So we would buy the curriculums, and, you know, you have to get together all the craft stuff and the, the, the Bible study, the Bible and, study and the lesson. And you sit all your kids down, and somebody would be saying, um, He's touching me, and stop picking your nose. I'm hungry. And, and after about two sessions of that, me and Billy would say, forget this. This is so awful, all right? So we're not giving you a list of rules, and we're certainly not trying to say, if you do these things, your kids are going to love Jesus. We are saying that these standards were birthed out of our time with the Holy Spirit, and they have helped us to promote an atmosphere of worship and coming to Christ in our home. The thing here is, is that, and you need to remember this, Billy's going to say it again, I'm sure, and that is, there is no substitute for you praying and hearing the Holy Spirit on behalf of your own family and cooperating with what he says, okay? Yeah, we can't understand your context all the time, and so as pastors and as small group leaders and whatever, um, sometimes we don't, we understand the struggles that people go through, and we've been through a lot of our own, but in the actual moment, we don't always know where you're at and your kids are at. And so you have to rely on the fluid, real-time, up-to-date conversation with the Holy Spirit about what is going on in your house and how you can bring Christ into that in that moment. And I'll say this too, part of the reason why we, we feel obligated at this point to talk a little bit about this is because after 21 years of doing this, we, we realize two things. One, we do have a level of success. There's a measure of success that each one of our children are bearing the fruit of. And we also realize that that didn't come based on how smart we were. It didn't. We didn't read a book and go, here's the 12 steps. We didn't write the book that said, here's the 12 steps, or here's the five steps. That actually wasn't helpful to us. We and couldn't even do the 12 steps. Yeah, we couldn't even do the 12 steps. Yeah. yeah so, but we also realize that in families, in families today, that is not a common statement. We don't find that a lot of families will say, 
yeah, we have a measure of success in, in passing faith along and creating our home as a home where, where kids worship and grow in the Lord. And so we understand that's a struggle. And so we want to engage with you in that struggle and say that we are, it's volatile in the Ramsdale home. And at any given day, um, it could be questionable whether or not, whether or not it feels real great and solid and, scri- and spiritual. But we've tested it over 21 years and we've had a measure of success and we're not about to stop today. And so, and we have grown kids. We have grown kids who are living for Jesus and, and using these same principles to manage their own life now. And so we love that. And we just want to try to share those uh, a little bit with you. So the first one is limit secular media. Also, you could read that limit secular voices and invest in music, movies, books, and community that lead your family where you want them to go. So I want you to follow me here for just a moment. We take our headphones and plug them into our devices, and we plug them straight into our brains. And we listen to the lyrics of the songs over and over and over. Our kids watch the same movies over and over and over and we're actually discipled by that um we had a church member one time who came to me and billy now her teenage daughter was very very troubled she was very very attached to the things of this world and this mom spent lots and lots and lots of time um telling me and Billy about her problems and how it was affecting the rest of the family. And the child actually went away to youth camp, and she came back, and she had discovered a Christian band that she really liked, and, and her, something about it, something about the music was just spoke to her and stirred her on the inside. And she asked the mom, would you pay to download that album onto my iPod, right? Yeah, iPod. Yeah. And uh, the mom, actually, she's telling the story to me and Billy, and, and she said, um, you know, the mom was still angry at the daughter for her behavior. And she said, I told her, absolutely not. I would not download a whole album onto your iPod. I will give you two songs, and that's it. And she said it really with this air of, you know, I'm a really great I'm parent. Be frugal. And, and, and me and Billy could not get the look of bewilderment off our face. Like these lines that I have up here on my forehead are from that conversation. I mean, we were, we were just stressed by it all. And, and the reason why is because metaphorically speaking in that same situation, I would have fed my whole household spam out of a can for a week and taken my grocery money and flooded that kid's iPod with songs that speak the truth over them and carry the presence of God over them. This kid was so attached to the world. She needed hours upon hours of the truth washing over her, and that is an investment. The other thing that you want to limit, you have anything you want to add on that? No, that's That's just a soapbox. I'm off now. All right, so the other thing you want to limit is devices that you are either unwilling or unable to monitor. Let me, let me read you this, um, this list, okay? The average American home, that's your home and think, mine. Think about your own home, not just the average American. Think about your house. Has the following items. Multiple computers, iPads, iPods. TVs in common areas and in the bedrooms, cable, DVD players, CD players, 
Netflix or other movie accounts, cell phones, gaming systems, texting, which is often private, unchecked conversation, social media in many forms, emails, radios, online music. And Billy and I had all of that times five kids. Five. Do you tell me, can even the most engaged, well-intentioned parents monitor all that? No, absolutely no. It was just too much. And so what you have to do is you actually have to start, I know, gasp, eliminating some of it. Um, Victoria, show everybody your cell phone. This is, Victoria's fixing to turn 16. Young people, this is called a flip phone, all right? <laughs> My son told me the other day, this is exactly how you make a back? kid unpopular. Flip phone. Flip phone. at Walmart. They do not have phones that access the internet. If you got a internet. flip phone, represent. Let me see. Oh, wait, just like that's, five that's of you. just you, Victoria. Oh, there you go. From the back. We see that back there. Brother yeah? from another mother over here. <laughs> right? There's one. She's convinced she's the only teenager with a flip phone. And do you see us crying? We don't care. It doesn't even move us, all right? Here's the, yeah, here's the rig roadblock on that. The, the world would say that your kids are entitled to be 12 years old and get a smartphone. So stop for a second. Stop for a second. The world would tell us that your children and my children are entitled to get whatever, to get access to the world through all these devices and all these methods whenever they want to, usually around 10 to 12 years old. So just stop for a second and think about that. Who, who runs your home? Who's in charge of your children? And so, so I'm gonna, I, throw, I didn't throw this out to the other services, but I'll throw it out to you because I see a lot of 12 to 16-year-olds out there. So parents sometimes just need to muster the courage to look their kid in the face and say these, this one word with two letters. No. No. Now, are we trying to be mean to them? No. But, but parents today are scared of their kids. They're scared of their kids. And that, when I say they, I mean us. And so in the process of figuring out some of this, understand your job isn't to make friends. Your job isn't to make your kids happy. Your job is to grow them in their faith and to build environments, okay? Build environments so that they can actually become more looking like Jesus by following you and being in your environment than less. Because the world's going to do its job at tempting them and pulling away from them. So you want to create a place that they can grow inside your home. Yeah, so, so here's the thing. We want to, to be able to narrow it down a little bit for you to say there's these concepts, but then every day at home, how do you practice this? How do you flex your muscle of being a, a, a home where worship is normal? And so let's talk about practices a little bit. So you want to practice the presence of God together. And there's a lot of things that we could talk about here, reading the Bible, praying, fasting, but they actually don't give us that much time. So we're going to hone it in on the idea of bringing the Holy Spirit into your kids' everyday situations. Mom, I'm sick. Let me pray for you. Um, you know, Mom, I'm, I'm having trouble with math. Well, you know, let's pray about it. Let's talk about it. Um, it just, just this constant bringing in the presence of God and teaching them the importance of engaging with the Holy Spirit in their everyday lives. We, um, Pastor Darren told me I had to tell more stories, so I'm trying to think. Stories, stories, stories. Um, we, on our we oldest daughter, I'm not even going to try to hide it. When Elizabeth was much, much younger, 
Now, I want you to know she now leads worship all over the world. She did get saved, okay? So let's just let that be the end of the story. But she was uh, first born, and she was in charge of the planet whenever yes. she was born, right? How many of you got a firstborn She's still in kid? charge of the planet. She or just she uses she her power for good, not evil now. Yeah. So, uh, but she, she was like 12 or something, and, and Billy and I had just discovered Facebook. We had just gotten Facebooks, and we didn't know a lot about Facebook. And she wanted a Facebook account, and um, not knowing a lot about it, we said, you know, no, you don't really need to be on Facebook right now. And so one night, she was in uh, another room. On, she was in my office on my work yep. computer, and Billy was on his computer on the table, and he, he saw from the dining room that Elizabeth had opened up an illegal Facebook account, okay? And so the way he told her that he knew she had done this is that he friended her. He sent her a friend request. So she's in the other room hiding, right, on the computer. So you just imagine she's sneaking, she's being awesome, and all she sits there and she goes, because dad's Facebook, dad, dad's Facebook friend request comes through so from our, the other room. <laughs> so our, our next step was we actually just went into our bedroom. She didn't come out of the office willingly. So we, we went into our bedroom and, and yeah. we, we tried to talk. And, the you know, silence I always want to be merciful and, and give more. And, you know, I'm saying to Billy, maybe we're being unreasonable. Maybe, sh- maybe this isn't very dangerous. And she says all of her friends have one. I mean, sometimes. Does that work on you? All sometimes it threatens it? to work on me. And, and, and Billy just wants to say no to everything, right? If our kids are home at 9 o'clock Not in everything. bed, he has won. He believes he is winning the war That's true. if he is just saying no to everything. And That's so we, we talked among us, you know, what is, what is the real issue here? What are we going to say to her? when we go in there. And what we said was, you know, the real issue is not Facebook. Facebook isn't going to be her downfall. The real issue here is rebellion in her heart. It is an unwillingness to submit to even a simple request that her parents are asking of her. And so we went into the other room and we told her she had to come out and you know, she knows she's caught and busted. Busted, And so, um, you know, we, we just said to Elizabeth, Elizabeth, this is the same path that someone goes down to, say, rob a bank. This is the same path. And it's the same heart issue. And um, what we want, what we're asking from you, Elizabeth, is that you just allow us for a few more years to protect you. A couple years from now, you're going to be outside of our house, and you're going to have unfiltered access to every single bit of it. But right now, we're asking you to please allow us to protect you, and please submit to us for this. And, you know, we were fortunate that, you know, we weren't yelling, we weren't screaming, and and she did. She canceled her Facebook, and, you know, the issue there is really someone who wants a release. They want to be able to do something before they've learned restraint, and so um, uh, a while back, I was in Mops, actually, and Victoria here, she sent me a text, and her text just simply said, um, (laughs) Michelle's laughing. I'm like, look, my kids, Uh, anyway, she sent me a text during Mops, and her text just simply said, Mom, I feel so jealous of, and she named another girl. And I texted her back, and I said, yeah, I know. And she said, well, how do you know? Well, because I'm your mother, and I've been praying for you, and I hear you talk, and I see that, that, that you're struggling with that. And she, said, well, she texted back, well, what do I do? And so what do, you, what do you do? You bring the Holy Spirit into that. Victoria, 
You lay it at the feet of Jesus. You do in that situation the same thing I have to do in that situation, and that is to say, Father God, this is my heart, and this is how I feel, and I'm opening my spirit up to you, and I'm opening my ears up to you, and allowing you to speak into my life and to speak into my heart. Um, I'm saying this because Pastor Darren said I had to, so um, hang with me for just one moment. Um, Not too long ago, we were sitting on the couch, and my family is loud. I know y'all can't imagine that, but it's very loud in my house. and All them are. Everybody's running around, and the TV's probably, I don't know, there's a movie on, and, and, you know, it's It's just crazy. And um, I had been praying for Eli, and I just just felt all of a sudden that I needed to say to him, Eli, it's okay if you tell me about things that make you feel sad or make you feel angry. And it was a weird thing to say in that moment. It, It wasn't normal. I don't normally say those things. And when I said it, in the midst of craziness, my family being in the kitchen, noise being everywhere, he started to sob and cry. And everybody was startled by it. And, you know, everybody's like, what's mom going to do next? And um, Now and what's he going to do? Yeah, now what are you going to do? And so and he said, mom, I feel lonely at school. Nobody wants to be my friend. And, and he actually to began to pour out for 30 or 40 minutes, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, wow. Um, this stuff in his heart. And so, you know, mom, mamas, listen to me. What's my next thing to do? You better believe that before my head hit that pillow that night, I text the teacher, I text the vision specialist, I set up a meeting to go in school. Alert, alert, Eli feels lonely. Everybody needs to come and help me fix this situation. But when I'm dealing with Eli... I say to him, Eli, let's pray about this. And in, in the morning time, before he went to school, we started laying hands on him and speaking out Deuteronomy over him. Eli, you are the head, you're not the tail. You are blessed not only when you're in my home, but when you go out of my home as well. Eli, you sow seeds of love, and you reap love back into your life. And our situation began to turn around. And, but what does he learn? What does he absorb? I need to bring the Holy Spirit into my situation. So when you, when you figure out that moment, okay, follow me just for a second. When you figure out that moment, it isn't because you figured it out in that moment. It's because of some point in time, it could have been 15 minutes before or 15 years before. For us, it was 21 years ago or more, and it's been reaffirmed many, many times over as we struggle, that you put down your foot at some point and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So when the issues come up, it isn't my conventional wisdom. When the issues come up, it isn't Dr. Phil. When the issues coming up, it isn't the principal at the school. When the issues come up, it isn't what I read out of the self-help book. When the issues come up, it isn't what my friends are, what my daughter's friends are telling her. It isn't what Taylor Swift talks about on her songs. Oh my gosh. Could she get a boyfriend and keep one? <laughs> right? I mean, the worst relationship advice ever in the history ever. of the world. Okay? And we pay her to tell us these stupid things. Right? Thank you. Um, yeah, it's terrible. And so, no, what we're teaching them and what we're affirming is that saying, look, I don't always know the answer, but let's open up the Word and let's bring the Holy Spirit into that situation. That is a home. Where we've, did, where we've created an environment to say, 
We are going to sacrifice my opinion and my way of doing things for the Lord's opinion on how to do things. And we're going to tap into what he has to say about this. And we're going to go that direction. So from a practicing standpoint, we do that with our kids. We serve with our kids. We'll worship with our kids. Guys, listen to me. I will lay down my hobbies Thursday night, bowling night, Tuesday night, basketball with the boys, whatever it is, so that I can get with them and do whatever they're doing or or us do something together so that I can continue to link arms and create this home that says, as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. And I guarantee you that there's a rub there. I guarantee you that it rubs with your love for the world, your love for a good paycheck, your love to take care of your yard every day, your love to be known for how cool you look in the mirror, your, your, your love for yourself and your love for how the world affirms you is diabolically opposed to creating a home of worship. You actually don't exist on planet Earth to bring home a paycheck and turn on and keep the utilities on every day. You actually don't exist for that reason. You don't exist so you can be comfortable. You don't exist so you can drive a cool car with cool rims. You don't exist so that you can have the latest smartphone. You don't exist so that you can have four, six, seven, eight hobbies and fund them. You don't exist so you can have a vacation home in another part of the world. And I'm just going to tell you, we actually love all of those things. We, we do. like rims and we like, we like a vacation rims. home. Mm-hmm. We love all those things, but they're not first. And if they are first, then they become a very shallow source for us. But if we go deeper and we say, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord first. We bow our knee to him first. Then in every circumstance, I get to do that. I get to say, hey, this is not a battle. And so, so today we want to end by, by allowing us to begin again.